Until I really began studying this, I had Adam in some other part of the garden, grilling something, killing something, green egging something, you know. But they're like, man, he sat there and watched this all go down and said nothing. And so I think every man either remains in the shadow of that first Adam or they walk in the light of the second Adam. And that just, the light bulbs went off for me when that descriptor Paul used of Jesus as the second Adam didn't make sense to me until I started studying manhood. I was like, oh my gosh, like that's exactly what he did. He came to be the exact opposite of what the Adam in the garden did. Welcome to the Lead Like Jesus podcast. This is Chris and Karen Conley. We are so thrilled to have you with us today, and you are in for a great program. We have with us today John Bryson, who is the lead pastor of Fellowship Memphis, a great thriving Mm -hmm. church and a partner in the city of Memphis where Mm -hmm. we are. And also the author and presenter of College Ready and lead writer and co-presenter of the 33 series. John, thank you so much for coming in today and for being a part of our podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, John, we obviously know the impact that you and your team makes in the city of Memphis. But also there's impact that you make throughout the country and really around the world through different resources that you've produced. And at Lead Like Jesus, we're always interested in the great leaders around the country that are using and leveraging their leadership to really make a difference. Two of those resources, one is called College Ready Mm -hmm. and the other is called 33. We want to touch on both of those today, but also I know Karen and I, we have a freshman in college. Our daughter is a senior in high school and we just finished all the college applications. So we're right here in the midst of this. So Mm -hmm. not only are we going to share for the benefit of everyone, but we're going to be learners right here with you today. So tell us a little bit about College Ready and kind of the backstory there as to why this resource was something that was so important to you. Yeah, well, right out of college, I went and did a discipleship program in Denton, Texas with a guy named Tommy Nelson and started working with a college ministry. Then I came on staff with the church part-time while I did an MBA at North Texas and then came on as a full-time college pastor and did that for 11 years total. So my four years of college, 11 years uh, in college ministry, I had first 15 years of adult life was spent with kind of what I called a PhD in college students and watching 18 to 23 or 24 or 25 year olds. Some do college really well, some college just ran over them. And so as I left that to come to Memphis to plant a church, Family Life approached me about capturing what I'd learned and we came up with College Ready, which is a tool to help parents, grandparents, uncles, coaches help their uh, students headed toward college, really go into college with a vision. That's the piece of it. Like, let's begin with the end in mind. Where do you want to be standing on graduation day? Uh, You're going to want to have options. You're going to want to have made a few great friends. You're going to want to have a ton of fun, really good, wholesome fun. A few other things. You want to have done relationships well, uh, navigated the dating world. And so we tried to capture that in a DVD-based curriculum, video-based curriculum. Student ministries, Christian schools, parents, again, coaches can use to really facilitate a discussion. That's my heart for it, is that it really opens up all of us, as I'm going to start doing it with my kids before too long, to talk about those big areas of life and lessons we've learned and would want them to know. John, you obviously have a vantage point that many of us Mm -hmm. have not had. You have been there on the college campus. We went down, we moved Mark in, but after that point, you come by invitation only into the dorm room if it's clean enough to let a parent in but like it kind of becomes this world where if you're not on staff or you're not involved in a college ministry you kind of just send your children off Mm -hmm. and as a believer you're on your knees you're hoping that God has put some people in place for your son or daughter but with that vantage point 
for our listening audience, maybe it's their grandchildren, maybe it's their children, what are the things that maybe one or two, because we could probably be here for hours Mm -hmm. of all of the things that you would say a parent can't begin to know that they, having not sat on that side of it and Mm -hmm. been immersed in college life, that they need to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, definitely that prayer resonates because in our culture, that is the period of time where boys become men, girls become women. The pressures, the responsibilities are just necessary to kind of forge the 25 to 35 year olds we would want as kids and as as in-laws and grandkids and all, all that. And so I really feel like having the patience to allow them to fail, allow them to make their own mistakes, allow them to really make their relationship with the Lord their own. And so college is that great fork in the road. Uh, you'll either, We all know God doesn't have any grandkids. He only has kids. And so those are those formative years where it's like that caterpillar and that metamorphosis coming out of that cocoon and that struggle, like the worst thing we could possibly do is is help them because it's in that struggle that they earn their wings mm-hmm. to be able to fly. And so that's kind of a metaphor I think of when I think of the college years and really the four or five years after that as well. There's about a decade there where uh, you're just coming into your own. We pray for one principle somebody taught me in leadership was a significant third. So most people need that significant third person other than mom and dad that really models uh, the Christian life for them. So whether that's a coach or an older student or a campus crusade or a college pastor, uh, I'm already praying for those significant third people in the lives of my kids. When I hear you talk about that significant third, one of the things that I've read about the importance of the entry point into college is that those first two months are so important because people are looking to belong, and if they don't find the right crowd to belong to, they'll compromise in order to belong to any crowd. So talk a little bit more about maybe the advice that you give on how to encourage, help them find that significant third. Yeah, so I would encourage parents to, as they're doing their college tours, as they're helping their kids select the college that's right for them, there's some really great tools that can help you do that. There's a group called AIMS that does testing that really helps spend a half day, get enough kids to even come to Memphis. You can go to Dallas and do it. It's counseling, consulting. They really help you help your kid narrow down what do they need to what skill sets do they have what should they probably major in would they do better in a dorm or in an apartment with a bunch of fraternity house or by themselves a big campus we'll just say no on the fraternity yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) so there's a um uh, there's some tools that can kind of help but as you're doing that search because i believe that chris and i watch that and i live that most decisions college students make their first two or three months are the plays they run their other three year three and a half years there and so that's not always true i would help them as well find the social spaces uh, the, i would factor into my decision hey this is a great school and a great fit but is there also a great church a great campus ministry like help expose them not just to dorms and options but to campus ministry and church options as well and really encourage them to make that a part of their social life now when i think about Recently, just because our son is a freshman, we've gone through that. Now we're going through the application process again with our daughter. When I think about college, I think about my experience, right. okay? And, you know, I'm thinking 20 years ago, and, and what's so crazy and bizarre, 20 years ago when we were in college, we didn't even have cell phones. Mm. All right, so that's how radically different the world has changed. So in your research, 
What would you say is different today when you're about to send your son or daughter to college than what we experience and how we need to be prepared for the differences? Yeah, I was just spent Thanksgiving with my best friend's oldest son, who is a freshman this year, and my sister's youngest daughter, who's a freshman this year. And I was really encouraging them with that challenge, actually, your cell phone comment, like there's this great temptation for them to just stay connected with all their high school friends through Instagram, through keeping up with what they're doing, through rather than kind of exploring this brand new world they have relationally of people and all that they can learn and to really be there and, and to when you go to college, go to college. And again, parents let them leave and let them be there, really challenge them to really turn the page of their high school chapter of life and start this new page of college and really enjoy that. And again, it goes back to casting a vision to go, hey, let's see who God brings into your life. Let's see the new friends and the new experiences and the new opportunities. Like be open to all that. Like that ought to mark your college years. This is really fresh. Mark just came home for Thanksgiving and we were driving in the car when we kind of went through his college journey. You're trying to manage that tension as a parent of they have to have ownership in the decision. This is that step where they have to kind of figure some of this out on their own. But at the same time, we have a perspective they don't. We know some of the dangers that are out there. And in our particular journey, we just did not have a piece about one of the schools that Mark wanted to go to. And that was where he thought he was going. He had found a roommate. And we had just said, listen, unless we have a piece about this, this is not the direction you're going to go. And he ended up not going to that school. We were in the car and he said, you know what? You guys were right. I'm really glad that I started over. I think I was just afraid to make that break. And I was going for what was safe. Now, that's Mark, but that's not every student. For some students, that might be the wrong advice. They probably needed some of the securities. How would you encourage parents? This curriculum is for the students to engage in a conversation and for them to be thinking differently. But maybe for the audience that we have now, how would you encourage them to manage that tension Mm -hmm. of leading their child through this process and giving them some space to make decisions, but also not abandoning wisdom in the process. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. We didn't necessarily lay it out this way in college ready, but the way I kind of coach parents and remind myself is you don't just parent. Like there's different roles as a parent you have to transition and move into. And so I call what you just described the move from coach to consultant. Mm -hmm. And then you'll move from consultant to confidant. Like you want, the end game is a new adult friendship with your adult kids. A lot of parents really drive their kids off when they just stay in coach mode into those 18, 19, 20-year-old years. You're a consultant, and uh, my advice is keep giving good advice. Sometimes they'll take your advice and learn. Mom and Dad have some wisdom here, and sometimes they'll not take your advice and learn. (laughs) Mom and Dad had some wisdom there, like they were right. And so move into that consultant role, but have a voice, too, because you're probably paying the bills or most of the bills, and so you still have this uh, say into what sometimes college students would come to me and go, my mom and dad are so controlling, like they won't let me do anything. And I was like, well, you know the pathway to independence. You pay for your own life, and then you can make all the decisions you want to make. So I, I encourage parents to use that as leverage, that yes. that if I'm paying for this, I, there's an expectation on effort academically, there's an expectation on this and that. And so because you're invested, and you're invested way more than just financially, but you can ask and request and kind of hold that standard. John, parents are used to, if they're not careful, of just problem solving. Mm -hmm. My son or daughter's got a problem. I'm going to jump in. I'm going to rescue them. I'm going to solve the problem. 
you've talked about a little bit about, okay, we need to move in this transition in life where we're allowing them to solve some of their own problems. Mm -hmm. But instead of problem solving, there are some tensions to manage. Mm -hmm. Talk about like in that college experience. I mean, we've got to understand this is a new world of freedom. We've got to also normalize. They're going to make some wrong Mm -hmm. choices along the way. What are those tensions to manage instead of just jumping in immediately, solving the problem, rescuing, just allowing to, okay, relax a little bit. We can expect some of this. We can normalize some of this. What would you say are some of those tensions? Yeah, well, I think one will be when they come home for Christmas, they come home, if they come home for the summer, like, are we under, still under teenage rules? Do I still have a curfew? Am I an adult? Am I not an adult? And I think getting ahead of the curve of going, hey, if you're staying in this home, this is our expectation. So again, communication, setting out expectations, giving some space where uh, I remember one of the gifts my parents gave me. I had a I went potluck on a roommate and I remember we had the same class, 8 a.m. class. Two weeks in, we had a test. We both walked back to our dorm room and like the phone rings and it's his mom asking how he did on the test. And I was sitting there thinking, wow, she is tracking with him that closely. And I, you know, at the time I was like, I'm not even sure my parents remember where I went, you know, much less what classes I have. And like, they gave me the gift of this distance where I had to figure that out and I had to manage that. And I had to uh, remember I have a test tomorrow and a paper due next week. And so whether it's currently their academic journey or their expectations where they come home or what are you going to be a part of grad school or not financially is that an option for them like just communicating all those things so that there's clarity and and there's appropriate expectation john i wonder if we can take a step back a few years because as i think about our listening audience and thinking about just like when you give birth to a child you can read all of the books all day long And you can be as informed as you think is possible. But until you kind of walk through it, you really don't know what it's like. I've told my daughter, I was like, last year when I dropped your brother off, I really didn't know. Mm -hmm. You know, I thought I knew, but I really didn't know what it would look like. Now, next year when we drop her off, I kind of know. You know, we've done this once before. There's this window of time where you can equip your entering college grandchild or child where they are going to be receptive. When you think about this curriculum, maybe a grandparent wants to give it as a gift, or maybe a student pastor wants to use it, or any of these different environments, what would you recommend is the ideal time to begin to have these conversations and to generate some of these thoughts before they're so far down the road that they can't be open to what might be the wise way to go. Yeah, I wrote that eight years, eight or nine years ago, and already our culture shifted so much that it's probably just as appropriate for high school ready mm-hmm. as it is college ready because mm-hmm. all the issues that were facing collegians a decade ago are probably facing high school sophomores and juniors now. And so I'll do some version of it. Uh, already, I kind of talked through some of those things. So, so we identify, again, academics is a key area, relationships, your relationship with God, friendships, making great, fun memories. All of those are areas you're going to want to do well through that season of life. And so a couple of ways, I think recruiting some other parents who have kids in the same season of life. Again, y'all, uh, it's a little 30-minute teaching time with some interviews, so it goes quickly. But I would hope that would launch into some discussions. And so like some key people, and it, if you recruit two or three other couples, which is how I'll do it, then Brooke, who will be my first one to face it, will hear from even other people she knows, loves, and respects, kind of mistakes they made in college and how what, what they learned about friendships or dating in college or academics. So that's a good way to do it. I know some people use it on college tours. So uh, I've had a 
family last spring tell me sent, sent me a picture inside their suburban as they're driving to Vanderbilt and UT Knoxville and they would listen watch sessions and so I mean it's there's six 30 minute sessions and so they would talk about it in the car as they're traveling and then youth groups have used it to, you know to discuss it and but yeah you asked me specifically the window of time I think junior year of high school would probably be a really good sweet spot that spring of the junior year so that they're kind of already thinking about college going into summer and i know y'all know this better than i do but even the whole application process you know when, when back in the day when we were there i mean you kind of figured that out in may when you graduated <laughs> high school where you were going in the fall now it feels like that starts way earlier it than does yeah, yeah. yeah well and as as someone who used to work in college admissions and now have having gone through it ourselves i think what you just said is actually a really key time because if you wait to start having these conversations your senior year, I, yeah. I think about our daughter right now. She has got so much on her, her senior mm-hmm. year of just, you want to keep your grades up so yeah. that you're getting into the schools. You've got the applications. You need to go on the visits. Their receptability and just the freedom for conversation and to add those things, I think you're right. Junior year really is a better time to begin having those and, conversations. And, and by the time they get to the senior year, they're feeling a little bit of pressure about the decision mm-hmm. and they don't even want to talk about it. It's like, I'm tired of talking about it. So you kind of need that junior year. You haven't talked about it so much that it's overkill mm-hmm. and that they're open and receptive to it. John, this is such a practical tool, so helpful. But what I want to do right now is transition a little bit to another incredible resource. That's the 33 resource mm-hmm. for men. And I know personally, so many people in our church, so many people in this city have mm-hmm. gone through that and just rave about its influence and impact in their life. Give us a little bit of an overview of what 33 is about so that this audience can dive into and see how they can take advantage of this great resource. Yeah, I believe a decade ago, I believe it even more today, I believe even in light of all the recent news and sexual harassment, like we've got a manhood crisis can't speak globally, but in America, uh, we've got a manhood crisis. And I, I saw that in my years in college ministry. So many, you know, 18 year old young men came stumbling onto campus. Uh, most of them, very few of them had any kind of intentional strategic father, maybe 5% of them. A lot of them didn't have a father in the home. And so here they are trying to figure out manhood. And I, I would just see it as the guys that would step onto that pathway of noble, authentic manhood. They would flourish and kind of everyone around them would benefit. And then those who didn't, it was just awful. And so I tried to capture, well, I saw that problem. Then I moved to Little Rock for a year before I moved to Memphis and got involved with a, a group called Men's Fraternity. And I heard Robert Lewis talk about manhood for the first time. Most of men's ministry in churches had either, if churches even had a men's ministry, it was um, a man teaching the Bible to a room full of men on a morning other than Sunday morning, or it usually involved Saturdays and testimonies and pancakes. I had just never heard a, a man stand up and go, here's a biblical definition of manhood. You're going to reject passivity and accept responsibility and lead courageously and invest eternally. Man, that just spoke volumes to me. I was kind of like, finally, here's some language. Here's a vision we can cast for our men to die to themselves and you got to die to live and you know be a servant leader so when i got to memphis I, it, it had been a little dated and it felt uh, men's fraternity felt kind of arkansas centric and so i just kind of began rewriting it and modernizing it and to what you mentioned i just i'd been teaching and doing all kinds of things for over a decade and just never anything resonate like talking to men about manhood 
just every time the return on investment was just like they couldn't get enough. It's one of those few things you did that people just kept coming. It kept growing. And so Lifeway approached us about kind of formalizing that. And I took two or three years and, and created six modules with Steve Snyder and some other guys. And so we've got a, a man in his design is the first one. And then a man in his story, which most men aren't used to going back and mm-hmm. really looking at their relationship with dad, the relationship with mom, their family of origin, the wounds in their life. So we're, we're handing them a language that's new to them, but also some thoughts that, uh, they may have never thought about. And uh, then a, a man in his idols, a man in his work, a man in his marriage, and then a man in his parenting. So it really gives, in 36 lessons, a real clear pathway to a beginning of what it looks like to have a vision for authentic manhood and how to really press it out into every phase of your life. You know, as I work with a lot of young adults, frequently, you know, you'll have a conversation with a young man. The conversation will eventually turn toward how does he find Mrs. Wright? And I almost always flip it and say, well, the best way to find Mrs. Wright is to become Mr. Wright. So in that, I think there's been this mistake in some of the most important areas of our life that will take that principle that's more caught than taught. But what you just said earlier is that there was a breakdown in manhood and what it means to be a husband, what it means to be a father, what it means to be a leader, and so there wasn't much to catch. That's right. Now you just kind of dove into those six or seven different areas. But one of the things that you said immediately was reject passivity. Yes. Elaborate on that a little bit. I would argue that the core struggle of every man begins in this area of passivity. I think it goes all the way back to the garden. I think when you see in Genesis 3, 6, that the Satan uh, you know, gave that out, Eve ate of that apple, and, and then it says that most damning prepositional phrase in all of masculine history, and Adam was there with her. Like, until I really began studying this, I had Adam in some other part of the garden, grilling something, killing something, green egging something, you know, but they're like, man, he sat there and watched this all go down and said nothing. And so I think Every man either remains in the shadow of that first Adam or they walk in the light of the second Adam. And that just light bulbs went off for me when that descriptor Paul used of Jesus as the second Adam didn't make sense to me until I started studying manhood. I was like, oh my gosh, like that's exactly what he did. He came to be the exact opposite of what the Adam in the garden did. And so, yeah, I think passivity, what you talked about, 20-somethings, you know, just hoping Mrs. Wright comes by. I call that, hey, man, we got to get you marriable. Like right now, you're not married. Would you marry you right now? Most guys would be like, no. Like, that's right. So let's get you marriable. Let's get you on these pathways of authentic manhood. Our culture is, has tragically handed, and this kind of goes in, hand in hand with our college discussion and releasing our, our sons and daughters. We've created this mulligan of a decade almost where no, nobody expects much of you out of your 20-somethings. And, so, uh, and it's devastating our young men. They're not pursuing a job. They're not getting themselves marriable, and they're not staying out of debt. They're not pursuing purity, and it, they just are just... We've created this third kind of dude space, and it is tragic for our young men. John, as you're saying these things, there's so many different thoughts going through my head, but I think of... The women that I work with, Mm -hmm. I lead women through our church and have written a study on biblical womanhood. And so I'm kind of the other side of that story. And and interestingly, I think probably The New Eve by Robert Lewis, Mm -hmm. when I did my research for Miss Perfect, I think he really, Mm -hmm. even though he was a male, probably hit on the head Mm -hmm. probably as one of my favorite resources for biblical womanhood. Mm -hmm. But you have the crisis for men. But as I look at a a daughter going into college and she Mm -hmm. came in the kitchen the other day with all of the the sexual harassment allegations that have been in the news lately. And she's like, Mom, I'm just so disappointed in men. Mm -hmm. 
And as a mom, knowing there's so much, especially on a college campus, Mm -hmm. that women will hear that want to pull them away from God's design and that women take charge. And and that's what happened in the in the Mm -hmm. garden. How would you speak to a young man or an adult anywhere in that phase of life? of the importance and value. Maybe they're like, I don't do dude groups. I've never done that before. Why they want to, why they need to, why it shouldn't be something that's so far down the list that they never invest their time to become who God wants them to be. Yeah, well, it's, uh, I think, a bored man who, uh, well, I think men will fall off on one or two sides of the cliff if they don't have a noble, authentic vision for manhood. They'll either be amazingly passive and not take any responsibility to do anything, or they become abusive, as we've seen, and they abuse power, they abuse that. And so those are the two dangerous sides of that. If you don't have a noble, authentic vision for manhood is to understand that, I think, to value that, to get, uh, like you said, it's the same struggle I have with a lot of guys. They don't see that. They don't understand it. They won't value it, whether it's men's groups or learning or growing in their masculinity. And so we just kind of keep constantly trying to cast a vision for them to value that and to grow into that, again, even beyond themselves, so that they can help their sons grow in that. They can help other men be a godly, authentic man who's a servant leader, who leads his home by dying to himself and, and uh, being a blessing to others. Something that you just said, and sort of hop in there, sometimes the motivation might be your own children you know as as we work and as all of us are trying to help people sometimes you know we can say we're too busy or Mm -hmm. we don't we can't but would you do it for your son because your son is going to model what you're doing your daughter is going to model what you're doing and so for for those listening and maybe thinking you know maybe i don't know if i have time to to lead one of these groups or to gather a group of men you could change a neighborhood you could change generations you really could make an impact just getting a couple of your guy friends together you just described initiative Mm -hmm. so that's a man taking initiative manning up saying hey would y'all let's do this let's start next tuesday let's go six weeks through this grab your son yeah that's the very that exemplifies what noble authentic man the opposite of passivity taking initiative for the benefit of others and that's my favorite definition of leadership i forgot who i stole that from but but that idea of taking initiative for the benefit of others um it's my favorite definition of leadership. So, John, as we wrap up today, and that's a perfect transition, taking initiative, we're in the early parts of 2018. Mm-hmm. So we've got a new year, so to speak. What would you say to cause someone to do something more than just agree with us? Oh, yeah, I agree. That's all good stuff. To right. actually take the initiative, yeah. get a group of guys together, go through this curriculum. What's your recommendation? Where do they need to go to get the curriculum? Yeah. What have been the best practices yeah. for a group of men to get together, go through the 33 series. And there's several of them. Uh, there's a fun group that meets at a cigar bar. The cigar owner does it every Tuesday night. There's coaches that take their teams through it. There's men that uh, even, I got a group here in Memphis, they travel all week, but they watch it online and they get together at lunch on Fridays. Sometimes I join them to discuss the material. And so you can go to authenticmanhood.com. It's got all six volumes. You can download them or order them. I found that most adult men are lonely and most adult men are massively under-challenged. And again, when this topic is so interesting to them, they've never really heard anybody speak to their, actually their masculinity. 
that I found any man that'll just take the initiative and invite a bunch of guys. And the beauty of the DVD material is you can just hit play, have a very engaging 30 minutes, and then have an awesome discussion for as long as you want. And that can happen at a coffee shop, in a living room. That can happen. It happens at businesses. There's a car dealership. There's salesmen. Watch it together every Tuesday morning. So there's all kinds of applications. John, one of the things that I've heard time and time again is what you just said. Once the video, once your teaching kind of stirs up the conversation, yeah. it's hard to shut it down. They don't want to stop talking yeah. because they've really never talked about it before. That's right. And it becomes so engaging that these groups, it's no longer something they have to do. It's something they want to do. Yeah, I agree. John, thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule. Your ministry, your resources are already making a difference all over this country and beyond. And so we're grateful to be able to have you here on the Lead Like Jesus podcast. One more time, give us the website. If anybody wants information on either College Ready or on Authentic Manhood, where should they go? Yeah, you can go to uh, collegeready.com. You can go to Family Life's website and find that. Manhood material is at AuthenticManhood.com and you can, it's called 33 The Series. There's six volumes and so you can check all that out at AuthenticManhood.com. Perfect. I hope you'll check it out. Also, if you want more information on Lead Like Jesus, go to the website LeadLikeJesus.com and we'll look forward to seeing you next time.